1: Well, here we are for another Blog Talk Radio. It's really good to be back uh, after a little bit of a hiatus. And uh, we're really excited uh, because I just, I love talking about the culture that we live in and how our faith connects up to all this. And uh, uh, I, today, uh, one, of, one of our most uh, popular guests, and uh, the one I, I just love to have, whenever we can get him on here, um, is uh, is Randall Bomber. Uh, he he teaches at uh, at Dartmouth, and uh, um, he's written oh so many a uh, whole number of books that talk about uh, the Christian the Christ, Christian evangelical Christians in America. I mean, he, he's even got an encyclopedia of e- evangelicalism in America and I'm in it so <laughs> so uh, that's that's pretty cool <laughs> so um, here we are here we are we're going to talk about today though uh, his 2021 20, book called Bad Faith Race and the Rise of the Religious Right in which he develops a whole new argument that uh i don't think a lot of people have heard and uh because i have to admit that when i was watching what was happening to christians politically especially in the 1980s uh everything seemed to be about abortion and people were up in arms and boy they were they were calling in to radio stations and they were upset and they were wanting to make something happen and uh so it did work I, I have to say it got people involved politically but i'm not so sure it was all the right the right way and uh what what uh, randall develops in his book is that abortion was not the issue in fact he got a a chapter called the myth of abortion and uh abortion was not the first thing to get christians involved politically but it was it was actually uh, raci- racism that that got christians involved and uh it was really the government taking away threatening to take away the tax exempt status of uh christian ghouls who were segregated who were white only and uh and the government because of the new laws um said no no we're not we're not going to call you uh we're not going to give you tax-exempt status because you are um you're going against um what 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 we want, what we've already voted on with the civil rights act and all of these things um so it was it was really uh, a huge issue and what randall says is that's what really got us involved um initially uh, politically and i just wanted to ask him right off the bat well one i want him to talk a little bit about how he found that out and uh where, where does that, you know, where did that idea come from? And then we'll, we'll go from there.
0: <clears throat> well, okay. Thanks, John, for having me. Yep. Always good to talk to you. And uh, yeah, <laughs> well, first of all, I, I, I should point out that, that I grew up as an evangelical. I think most people know that to know anything about me. And then uh-huh. in the 1970s, I attended Trinity College in Deerfield, Illinois, and then Trinity Divinity School where I did a master's degree while I worked actually in the development department. So the only reason I mention that is to say that I was very much embedded in what I call the evangelical subculture in yeah. the 1970s. And that is when all of this stuff was happening. And when I was growing up as an evangelical, I don't remember anyone ever mentioning the abortion issue. And hmm. as we know, uh, throughout the 1970s, abortion was a Catholic issue. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, 1980 uh, uh, election comes around, as and, and I'm sure as you remember, and all of a sudden, evangelicals were were worried about abortion. And by the way, I want to make clear, I'm not I'm not at all criticizing that that issue or or evangelical involvement in that issue. Not not at all. I, I think it's a it, it's an important issue. But what really got me started trying to find out what really happened was in November of 1990, by that time I was an assistant professor at at Columbia University in New York, and I was invited to a meeting in Washington, D.C., and it was a a closed-door meeting. About, I would say, two, maybe three dozen people were there in a hotel conference room and I go and go into this room and here I am with Ralph Reed, uh, head of the Christian coalition, uh, Richard Land from the Southern Baptist convention, uh, Richard Vigory, who's the, uh, the conservative direct mail guru, uh, Ed Dobson, who had been one of uh, Jerry Falwell's lieutenants at that moral majority, uh, and Donald Wildman from the American family association. It, it's just a who's who of the religious right. And, In the first session, Paul Wyrick, who really is the architect of the religious right, made an impassioned uh, speech. He said, let's remember, we did not get involved in politics because of abortion. That was the furthest thing from our mind. And then he went on to, to, to make his case. And then right after that, Ed Dobson, again, Jerry Falwell's lieutenant, um, con- concurred with him. He said, absolutely. He said, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but this is uh, pretty much the quote. He said, I, st- I sat in the non-smoke filled back room when moral majority was begun. And I don't recall anybody talking about abortion. Hmm. So uh, hmm. right, right after that, there was a break and I, I went up to Weirich and I said, I want to make sure I understood you correctly, that abortion had nothing to do with the origins of, of this political movement. He said, absolutely not. He said, I've been trying since the Goldwater campaign, in 1964, to get evangelicals organized politically, he said, I tried the school prayer issue, I tried pornography, I tried women's rights, I tried abortion. Nothing got their attention until the Internal Revenue Service started coming after these Christian schools in the 1970s. Mm. So anyway, wow. that set me on a course to, to to discover what I call the real origins of the religious right. Yeah. And I can say without... without uh, Without a hint of uh, of or without worry of contradiction, that uh, it was not abortion, and in fact it was uh, the defense of racial segregation in these wow. Christian schools. I want to add one more point here, John, to what you said, and and that is to say that that issue, that is the defense of racial segregation in in uh, evangelical schools, places like Bob Jones University, that is what got the leaders activate act, active in politics and then as i point out in the book is and you'll remember uh later it was uh, an attempt to reach out to the grassroots evangelicals and say uh, what's going to really motivate them and they tried various issues and finally they settled on the abortion issue late in the 1970s not in direct response to roe v wade in 1973
1: yeah you know from reading your book randall uh I got the impression that you know these these guys uh were not embarrassed by this or ashamed about it uh th- they were almost you know pumping it like they were very excited that they finally found something that worked yeah and yet we're talking about racial segregation and and yeah. racist attitudes. Talk about that. I, how did
0: Yeah, how no, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. And, and uh, I think Weirich, I sometimes call him the evil genius. Uh, Weirich was very, very savvy politically. And mm. I think he recognized, and well, I know he did, recognized early on that if he was going to galvanize a grassroots political movement, he needed an issue other than a defense of racial segregation. So he did two things, and both of them were brilliant. One of them is that very quickly, he shifted the the conversation away from a defense of racial segregation to a defense of religious freedom. Uh, and I remember this, John, from my childhood. My father was an evangelical minister in the evangelical free church for 40 years. And I remember this very clearly. Uh, very often, usually on a Sunday evening, we would have a president of a Bible school or a Bible institute come by and he was you know he would be making a pitch for uh, recruiting students and raising money and so forth but one of the uh, boilerplate statements in his appeal was always we don't accept any federal money therefore the federal government can't tell us what to do can't Hmm. tell us who to hire or fire who to admit or not to admit it was always a point of pride and Hmm. so what happens in the 1970s when, because of as you said legislation in this case it would be the civil rights act of 1964 and before that the brown v board of education ruling of 1954 10 years earlier and then the courts kind of catch up to this in the 1970s and declare mm-hmm. that any institution that engages in racial segregation or racial discrimination is not by definition a charitable institution under the law mm-hmm. and so uh That's when Weirich shifted the grounds. He said, oh, this is a defense of religious freedom. Failing to note, (laughs) failing to point out that tax exemption is a form of public subsidy. Now, I don't need to argue that point. I will if you want me to, but you you know this, right? Um, You you have your own tax-exempt organization. I'm I'm certainly not criticizing that by any means, but it means that Other people, other taxpayers, have to make up the difference, right, for police protection, parks, national defense, everything else, right? Uh, This is tax deduction. Tax exemption is a form of public subsidy. And so Weirich makes that first move to say it's not a defense of racial segregation. It's a defense of religious freedom, when all along any of these institutions could have said, we want to continue to engage in racial segregation because the Bible tells us so or whatever it might be. All they had to do was give up their tax exemption and nobody would have bothered them, but they didn't want to do that, of course. Want,
1: the yeah. second
0: move the second move he makes is to say, is to, is to discover the, the abortion issue. And uh, he really just stumbles on that issue, and I can talk about that, too, if you want me
1: to. Yeah, yeah. Um, you talk about Paul Weirich and how how uh, he was really politically savvy and and how he really led the way for this political involvement why was that such a big deal why why, uh, what did these Christian leaders the guys in that room think they were going to accomplish by getting Christians fired up uh, politically well you know it's hard to know what motivations are now Jim Wallace
0: tells me he said time and time and time again he keeps coming back to this he says he said that um, Richard Vigory, this direct mail guru went to went to Falwell and Robertson and said, "You know if you guys get involved politically politically, I can make you guys into national figures." And according to Jim, you know that's in part what they what they were looking for. That is uh, national exposure. And you'll remember that that Falwell was in the news, you know, pretty much every day because he would make you know statements that would would rile up uh, a lot of people. The press, you know, picked it up and so forth. So who knows? I don't know if that's a sufficient explanation, but. Well. Uh, I I think for Falwell the the issue was that uh, he had his own segregation academy in Lynchburg, Virginia. And Mm -hmm. uh, after the IRS started uh, making, you know, making inquiries, he famously groused that in some States it's easier to open a massage parlor than it is to open a Christian school. And so I think uh, he had a stake in that,
1: in that issue. Hmm. Wow. Um, So, You know, possibly some of it was personal. Maybe Uh, the desire for fame and and uh, notoriety, but probably probably along with that, that was all. You know, well, more attention we get, the more attention I get, then the more exposure to the gospel or something like that. Probably.
0: Uh, Well, I suppose you know that would be that would be the the rational rationalization uh-huh. of it i suppose in some ways but yeah and yeah. Then, you know again i i don't i don't presume to judge the motives right. of individuals right. <laughs> um
1: i it's just that yeah i just watched i just watched a lot of this happen and uh yeah some yeah, people I, uh there, there there was a there's a woman i i just respect so much uh her name is Char Binkley. We've we've had her on a couple times, and she was the manager of a Christian radio station in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And she was on the board of the Religious Broadcasters Association. And at yeah. one point, when they were going somewhere, she couldn't go because it was all about this. It was all about politics and uh, personal gain and and notoriety. She just got up and walked out of the meeting. <laughs> really? Really? Uh, yeah. She, <laughs> yeah. She's terrific. You know, so. Well, I, th-
0: I, I think there I was a lot of that, yes.
1: That. With that? Yeah.
0: I think there was a lot of that. A, a lot of people were not happy with the direction of this. But yeah. I, I think one of the reasons that it was so successful was, first of all, Falwell in particular knew how to promote himself. And he, he even admitted that, uh, that what he, a lot of what he was doing was just making these kind of ridiculous statements, so that uh, he would get people riled up and they would uh-huh. they would respond to him. I think that uh, wow. that's a big part of it.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So we're saying that racism was a big part of this initial political involvement. Is it still in the picture, and in what way, Randall?
0: Well, I, I think it's pretty hard to say that it's not. I mean. <laughs> You look at uh, the behavior of white evangelicals both in 2016 and 2020. When, as you know, 81% in 2016 and lately I've been hearing the number 84% in 2020 uh, voted for Donald Trump. And uh, I'm sorry, you can't make the case that he was the family values candidate <laughs> uh, in in either election. I'm sorry, you can't make you cannot make that case. Uh, and so you have to start kind of looking around you know, what are the what what were the other motivations and yeah. you know as i argue in in bad faith but um, you know I, first of all I, I i i'm very careful to say that not all evangelicals or not all people who vote with religious right are are racist i don't believe that at all i don't believe that for a moment that is not the case Nevertheless, you have a political mo- movement that was born in racism. Mm. And the analogy I use in the book is that you can have this beautiful, beautiful building with all sorts of fancy filigree and all, whatever you consider to be lovely architecture. But if it rests on rotten timbers, I think mm. the, enti- the integrity of the entire structure is compromised. In the case of racism, uh, the other thing I discovered in the course of writing the book is that the transitional figure, frankly, between the origins of the religious right and and Donald Trump, with you know the birther nonsense and all this, uh, you know, the, his rhetoric about immigrants and so forth, the transitional figure, frankly, is uh, Ronald Reagan. Ronald hmm. Reagan, and you know this probably as a Californian, Ronald Reagan entered politics in opposition to the Rumford Fair Housing Act. Which would have forbade, which would have forbidden, pardon me, uh, um, discrimination in both the rental and purchase of housing. He was an outspoken opponent of both the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the mm-hmm. Voting, Voting Rights Act of 1965. Throughout his political campaigns, he frequently invoked the racially racially charged phrase "law, law and order." And who can forget his vile caricature of so-called welfare queens, women of color who were living lives of luxury off the public dole. He was never able to produce one of these welfare queens, but he spoke as though they, he was sure they existed. And for me, um, for me, the clincher, Ronald Reagan in 1980 opened his general election campaign on August 3rd, 1980, in, of all places, the Neshoba County Fair in Philadelphia, Mississippi, the place where 16 summers earlier, members of the Ku Klux Klan in collusion with the Sheriff's Department abducted, tortured, and murdered three civil rights workers. Mm -hmm. And Ronald Reagan was the master of symbolism but in case anybody missed his meaning on that occasion before the white all white audience at the Neshoba County Fair County Fair, he invoked that age old segregationist battle cry, I believe in states' rights. So I you know, I, I think there's a pretty direct line. <laughs> and wow. um, you know, sadly it loops through Ronald Reagan who a lot of evangelicals still consider something of a political messiah. But uh, I think if you look carefully, uh, you have to you have to reassess.
1: Hmm. Wow. Um, well, of course, abortion eventually took over as the central yes. political issue for Christians in the 80s. Um, yes. Why? Why do you suppose this is the case? Why is abortion such a rallying cry for Christians in culture?
0: Well, I think you know. I I think there are certainly moral uh, uh, moral arguments behind that position, and I'm not going to to, uh, disregard those for a moment. I think it's uh, it's very important. And again, I think you have to remember in the context of the times, uh, one of the people who was making that case was Francis Schaeffer, along with Everett Coop, and that uh, film series "Whatever Happened to the Human Race," which Mm -hmm. uh, had the effect of educating. Evangelicals about the abortion issue, and again, I re- reiterate, up until that time, evangelicals considered abortion to be a Catholic issue, and it was only really when uh, Schaefer and Coop get going with that uh, film series that evangelicals become attuned to, to that issue. And again, I want to I want to reiterate that they, you know, there's there's very very strong moral arguments behind the anti-abortion. Uh, cause and I'm not going to diminish that f- uh, for a moment. Uh, that said, I think
1: um,
0: you know. Again, I want to tread lightly here, but I think it's important to make the case that, in many ways, this was a political position that didn't cost much <laughs> in, in terms mm-hmm. of real policy. And and I'm not the yeah. first to make this case, but uh, you know, a fetus does not demand health care. A fetus does not demand an education. <laughs> a fetus did not uh, you know, look for uh, crime-free streets and that sort of thing. So it, it didn't, uh, for for the conservative movement, it was a cause that didn't uh, cost them much in terms of advocating for for uh, certain mm-hmm. policies. And uh, and I think the other thing, and I made this case in my eyes of Seen the glory, this is years ago, of course, um, I made the case that I think the abortion is a wonderful symbol, and and for evangelicals who felt uh, embattled for much of the 20th century and now into the 21st century, uh, there was a sense in which they identified with the vulnerability of the fetus. I remember very clearly uh, when I was uh, in, in Iowa for the Iowa Precinct Caucuses in February of 1988, and I was interviewing and, and writing about uh, these new political activists uh, in, in, the, um, in the national arena, and the head of Concerned Women for America, the Iowa chapter, a woman named Maxine Sealman, looked at me. Looked at me, and I'll never forget her the expression on her face. She leaned forward and, and kind of pointed her finger in my in my face and said, "Remember, the most dangerous place to be these days is inside a mother's womb." And you know, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, criticizing that argument. I think, you know, that's it's 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 a fairly good uh, argument to make. But again, it it the fetus kind of symbolized the sort of vulnerability that I think many evangelicals felt. And once again, I want to this is the third time I'm making this point. I, I'm not in any way diminishing the moral arguments behind the anti-abortion
1: position. I think they are very very strong.
0: Right, right,
1: um, but but it turned into basically one issue politics, and it did. so much so that if a as long as someone was pro life, it didn't matter their moral character, it didn't matter what they've done, how many marriages they've had, or who who cares, you know? If that if this one thing they've got right, then we're on we're on their side. Uh, yes. Is that, right? it, that's what, is that right? That's what happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it became single issue politics. Yes, you're absolutely right. And and I think, you know, again that helps to explain uh the white evangelical vote in twenty sixteen and again in twenty twenty because yeah. once again yeah. you can't make, you can't make an issue you can't make the case that Donald Trump was a family values candidate. I'm sorry, yeah.
1: you just right. can't.
0: <laughs> <She said. laughs>
1: well, um, we, you know we're in an interesting time now. I'd love to have you comment on this. This is this is real. I've been reading recently about what's happening now that Roe v. Wade, uh, the Supreme Court, reversed Roe v. Wade, and now it appears that. Um uh, the majority of Americans are um are you know they're it's it's kind of like a backlash they're they are oh, yes. <laughs> they're for for legalized abortion more more than not and, you know the percentages are pretty high and so yes. if Christians stay in that position against abortion. They could actually be a drag on a candidate, is that true and
0: I oh, wonder I think' right're happen- finding
1: we're we're finding that already i, I absolutely
0: that's that's the case and I think what's happening it's fascinating to watch this i think if you can kind of step uh, take one or two steps back and and, and see what's happening what's <laughs> happening and and frankly i did I predicted this although i'm not going uh, not going to contort myself to pat myself on the back here but uh, what's happening is that uh, the, the anti-abortion movement is is backpedaling really fast on this. And so what you're mm. seeing is looking for new issues. And, and, in fact, there was an article in the New York Times yesterday about this. And wow. one of the activists, whose name I've forgotten, um, he admitted it. He said, you know, after the backlash from the Dobbs decision, we decided to start throwing various issues against the wall to see what, what would stick. And right now, I think they're deciding that uh, you know this transgender stuff and is is going to be yeah. the, the new sort of issue. And, yeah, and sure. you know, I, to be honest, I, there's a part of me that understands this in the sense that mm-hmm. I don't quite understand. <laughs> I don't understand uh, you know, yeah. the the motivation for this. Um, but I, I also did predict that whatever the issue was, it was going to have to do something with sexuality because sexuality is such a strong kind of visceral issue for a lot of people. And I don't find it very surprising that the religious right is trying to shift now shift the the conversation away from abortion because they're, they're on the defensive on that issue. I think it's it's very clear. Uh, So they're looking for something else. And like this guy, you know, like I said, this guy said, uh, Hey, we're trying everything. We're throwing anything against the wall. See what's (laughs) going to stick. And uh, um,
1: you know, that says something too, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Well, sure, certainly going to be interesting to watch. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. I, uh, you know, it just my last two questions uh, are really probably the most important, and so I guess we're just going to have to have you back, and we'll talk a whole session on these. But okay. I, <laughs> I, I would really like to get into okay, what is the value, if any? Of Christians getting involved in politics. What is the sure. value? That's a, and and I'll, I'll obviously, what are the dangers? Um, sure. I don't know. A broad answer yeah. now, maybe we'll get into it more later.
0: <laughs> well, I mean,
1: you know, the great irony is that when I was a, a, a
0: student at Trinity College in the, in the early 70s, I was, I was kind of pleading with my classmates to become interested in politics and become involved. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that they would uh, veer so sharply to the right, because I would argue, as I argue in bad faith, that uh, looking at the history of evangelical activism as well as Jesus' teachings in the New Testament – that should point us toward the left of the political spectrum, not to the right of the political spectrum, but that I think is an argument I'm going to have to make um in more detail later
1: Wow, wow so do you think there's a there's a hope though that that christians could if we could just get more involved broadly in lots of issues rather than one you know um and sure. Don't you don't you think that Christians should be across the political spectrum? You know, we should have yeah, that I, I, in Republican. I, think there's, for,
0: yeah. I, I yeah. think there's room for that, I, certainly. But I also want to invoke the the example of 19th century political evangelical activism, when evangelicals almost invariably took the part of those on the margins of society, those Jesus called the least of these. And frankly, I don't find that. Sentiment in the agenda of the religious right. Now, I'm willing to be proven wrong on that, but I simply don't see that. And uh, that's why my understanding of the teachings of Jesus uh, points me toward the left of the political spectrum.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We can at least raise those issues uh, in whatever way we can. Uh, The least of these, the Sermon on the Mount uh people peacemakers yeah yeah i'm sorry what
0: what did you say randall jesus said blessed are the peacemakers
1: yes yes yeah 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 and and we're such a we're we're such a warlike people right now we're fighting with everybody and each other and yeah peacemakers well there's so much uh that we we need to grow and learn as Christians. And uh, uh, ha- thank you, Randall, for for helping us think through some of these things. And uh, we will uh, uh, we'll have you back for sure. Uh, uh, I I'm fascinated about your book about Jimmy Carter. So we'll uh, we'll pick that up uh, at a later time. But thank you so much for joining us Always. today. Always a pleasure, John. Good to talk to you. God okay. Bless. God bless you. Thank you.
0: Wow, oh,
1: that was You're exciting. How oh, we made it to me John today. Oh. The <laughs> just, get, just get off the table uh, from the, the, the side. Come alongside We're all the people who heard each other. Be like Christ. That's what they're here for. I'd like to see you again next week.